0: the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and
1: RedRaiders.com, here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports.
0: Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Texas Tech Football Podcast, brought to you by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm Texas Tech Football beat writer Don Williams, along with A.J. Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva, Jr., Coming to you uh, a couple of days uh, in advance of uh, Tech versus Stephen F. Austin. It's the home opener on Saturday night at Jones Stadium, 6 p.m. Uh, first, though, Carlos, we'll go back and look at uh, Texas Tech season opening victory, 38 to 21, against the University of Houston. Red Raiders rallied from a uh, two touchdown deficit at halftime. You were down there, Carlos. What was your uh, main takeaway or two from that game?
1: Not to be a cliche person, because us uh, sports writer seems to do this, Don, but uh, both coaches did say this. It was a tale of two halves. And I think you said that immediately by just kind of giving a nice synopsis of it is Texas Tech didn't play very well in those first two quarters, got down 21 to seven at half. And then all of a sudden, according to coach Matt Wells, there weren't really many adjustments. The team just played a lot better. Uh, obviously, there were some adjustments to get Houston off kilter. But I, but I think the biggest thing for Texas tech was the fact that Tyler Shuck got going, the running game going. And not only that, but I think we saw a small glimpse of what this defense and those transfers in the secondary can do for Texas tech, because as a guy that you uh, profiled, Reggie Pearson, he made a big play early on a deep ball to Keshawn Carter. He timed it very well. He watched the ball. It looked like he knew that it was coming through I was able to make that interception, got the first takeaway, the first of four interceptions for Texas Tech. If I'm not mistaken, they had five total last year, not to say that that's a uh, continuation that's going to happen the next couple games, but certainly when you look at the fact that this, uh, as Coach Jones likes to call it, the Cheetahs were able to get some uh, prey in terms of the football early on. I think it's a very good sign for Texas Tech fans to know that the, the secondary is not a liability, at least in that first game.
0: So now, uh, we move on to, uh, SFA jumping into, uh, taking Stephen F. This is going to be an interesting from the standpoint of, you got a couple of West Texas guys coming back to West Texas. Mm-hmm. They're as old as I am or older might remember way back in, uh, well, start with SFA's head coach is Colby Carthel. He grew up yep. in Friona. and, uh, head coach at Friona way back in the day was uh, James Morton, Aaron Morton's dad, um, and they actually uh, actually covered a state semifinal game at Texas Stadium with James Morton coaching for Yona against Tatum, which was where their the run ended. And then, uh, so, you know, it's Colby Carthel; He's now the SFA head coach. His dad, mm-hmm. Don, uh, he's kind of a West Texas legend. He's coached. Yep. A, he's won a ton of games. Most notably, I want to say it. West Texas A&M when they really got it going a decade or so ago. But way before that, 40 years ago, when I was in high school, Don Carthel was coach of the Lubbock Christian College Chaparrales, an ill-fated program that only lasted four years and had precious little success. He's, and Don Carthel, the elder, uh, in his late 60s now, he's on that uh, SFA staff with his son. So you got some, you got a little bit of local ties there. Not only that, but for the second straight uh, game,
1: you're going to have a player that was on the Texas Tech roster. It's going to be on the opposing sideline as well, Don. You got Daly Ward, a guy that was obviously a running back that looked to have some potential kind of the way that you saw Kashawn Carter from last year. You looked at uh, Alex Hogan as well as a defensive back for Texas Tech last year uh, that was playing with Houston as well. And of course, some of the other guys, but I think just looking from a Texas Tech to SFA perspective, I think, uh, you can kind of look at this and say, well, it's another FCS team. Texas Tech should do pretty well against them. I think a normal fan's is going to look at, well, Houston Baptist, well, we barely beat them. But I would caution to say Stephen F. Austin does have some talent, but it's not the type of talent like a belly zappy, a quarterback in the Stearns brothers at the wide receiver position, because as everyone saw that was watching college football like you do since you for the top 25 and i remember doing that so i watched too much college basketball but western kentucky had a really good game thanks to zappy threw for about 425 yards he certainly led that offense go i don't think you're going to see the same type of offense from Stephen f austin but don't uh, tell that to matt wells who was certainly complimentary about their offensive line and the type of offense that they can the the, the type of points that they can put up with some of the playmakers they have in the backfield
0: yeah houston Baptist. uh as you alluded to, they had you know big time quarterback I think in Bailey Zappian, and as you mentioned, he transferred to Western Kentucky, and his mm-hmm. three receivers all transferred with him to Western Kentucky. Uh, Wes Kitley's son Zach Kitley uh, took them all, took a bunch of them with him, the key guys. I don't, I don't think SFA uh, will present as big an obstacle. Uh, although it's not, you know, it was not a bad SFA team. They went six and four last year. Mm-hmm actually led the SCS in pass interceptions with 14, and uh, they led the FCS, I think, in turnovers gained with, with 23, so their defense made things happen. The name to know, no, really two names to know, I think, offensively for the Lumberjacks, one, a wide receiver named Xavier Gibson from mm-hmm. Dallas Wilson, Five foot nine, one hundred and seventy pounds. The last uh, each of the last two years, he's caught fifty-two passes for about nine hundred yards and seven to, seven or eight touchdowns. Put up nearly identical stats both of the last two seasons. Again, not a very big guy. Uh, 5'9", 170. Extremely productive though. The quarterback uh, Trey Self came from the. Uh, he's a Texas kid that started out uh, in Juco, went to Butler mm-hmm. College up there in Kansas, the Purple and Gold guys, uh, same school that Tech has gotten some players from, most notably Daniel Howard from the Mike Leach era. Um, he, he threw for about 2,000 yards last year. I don't I, Again, I, I don't think he's a Bailey Zappi-level quarterback, but um, he does have an uh, extremely productive wide receiver, and then they helped their round game this year. SFA's got a transfer uh young man from hawaii five, eight, five foot eight one hundred and ninety pounds who he, he spent the last three seasons at Hawaii and his best year was two years ago and he ran for nine hundred and eight yards. Um and my it and his name is escaping me at this point, <laughs> at this moment. But uh It's all
1: good. You're doing the same exact thing I do and that's why I always ramble for a little bit as I well, I, so I try to find something in the game notes that you kind of look for that stuff. I, I think that the, the
0: one thing... It's, to- ma- it's, it's Miles Reed, who, interestingly enough, has the nickname of Bam Bam. Miles Bam there Bam. 900-yard rusher two years ago at Hawaii. So, uh, you know, pretty legit there. And like I said, the other thing that, that jumped out to me in looking at SFA is uh, a team that uh, picked off a lot of passes last year. Yeah. Left okay. the FCS and turnovers gained. And they have, uh, you know, defensive linemen named BJ B.J. Thompson had had six sacks last year, and that name might be a little familiar because he transferred to SFA from Baylor and played against the Red Raiders for the Bears in the past.
1: Well, I I think the one thing to kind of take away too, Don, is uh, Texas Tech kind of got got in its own way in that game last week. I know not to kind of focus on it since we're kind of talking about Stephen F. Austin, but the fact that you brought the turnover factor there. I mean, you had a potential touchdown and then Xavier white did fumble it in the red zone near the goal line. I think that's something that you cannot allow Stephen F. Austin to do is keep itself in the game, give itself some life. If you do get into the red zone, you have to score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown. And I think, uh, the thing to note as well, and I don't know if you did it purposely, but when you look at a guy that's five, eight or five, nine, and you look at Texas Tech now, they've got some very, very tall cornerbacks. You've got some guys that are cross-training. That's a term that Keith Patterson likes to use that can be a safety cornerback or even a linebacker that could maybe stick with some of these guys. You know, you, you look at that, and that's going to certainly help Texas Tech in its pass game, which I'm interested to kind of get your take because I saw this on Twitter. I know you put out the tweet to ask questions to you earlier before we started uh, this podcast, but I think – A lot of people were, I don't know if upset's the right term, but they weren't happy with the odd man front and I guess the type of pressure that it was getting. But to me, it seemed like they knew what they were doing because they did get to the quarterback. It's just a matter of, I think they were just kind of filling, filling gaps, and certainly they did that. And once by the third quarter, I think you kind of saw the fact that that deep Defensive line, that deep defensive ends. Tyree Wilson started to do things. Jalen Hutchings obviously got a sack. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Tony Bradford got a sack. And I think the one thing that helped, and I kind of brought this up on some of my tweets, but it allows you to get an extra defender, you know, covering, which is essentially what Houston was doing. I mean, you're trying to take away their best assets, which is their passing game.
0: Correct. Well, here, here, here's, here's here's one thing. Here, uh, and Keith Patterson said this on uh, Tuesday that uh, he did – uh, bring more, uh, more people in the uh, uh, in the pre- oh, He did bring more pressure in the second half. Oh, absolutely he did. But but consider this too, um, on the play where Rico Jeffers returned an interception for a touchdown. Um Rico Jeffers normally is one of your extra normally is your fourth guy when you rush the passer. Yes. If Rico uh had been so that that was a three man rush play. Yes, my point is that was a three man rush play and mm-hmm. you got six off of it. If uh you had blitzed Rico on that play, as you did some other plays in the second half, then that uh pick six doesn't happen and you don't have that touchdown that ties the game. And how does the game change after that? So um uh, they they went with the uh, and, and there was another time that they blitzed and uh, and got beat and gave up about twenty or twenty five yard pass play. So uh, it, you know it's it's not the be all end all. This is a, a defense that has uh, more more experience, I think, more talent and more depth, but doesn't have a tremendous doesn't have a great nat- natural pass rusher. It doesn't have a, a ten sack guy on it. And so you're going to have to kind of pick and choose when you do bring the extra pressure.
1: So in terms of that, I guess do you feel like Keith Patterson's trying to form an identity because at least for me, I know you brought up the fact that he's bringing pressure. You could say he wants to be more aggressive. I think uh, from my perspective, it seems like Patterson's just trying to ensure that all of his guys are aggressive. They're looking to make the takeaway and, Yes, he does blitz, but it's not going to be as much. I think he's picking his spot. Well, and and, and and like you said, they did get beat, obviously, on some of those. But I think on some of those, they, they did uh, take advantage of a situation where, you know, there were times where I know it seems weird, but, you know, Tony Bradford was unblocked at some times and he was able to get to the quarterback real quick.
0: Yeah, well, here's a couple other thoughts. One is, you know, Keith Patterson, I think, probably blitzes more than people realize, that, but sometimes – sometimes your blitz is picked up and it doesn't yeah. really uh, lead to anything. Um, and you know and as for the uh, you know the three-man rush, like I say sometimes Rico Jeffers is effectively your fourth pass rusher mm-hmm. um, and, and you see him doing that uh, a lot. That's why I was a little bit surprised that they're using him more in the middle this year versus off the edge, which is where he spent a good portion of his career.
1: So I guess from your perspective, when you kind of look at what Texas Tech and SFA have, I know we've already talked about all the playmakers that SFA has, at least from my, from my view here, Don, uh, just a general, you know, sports writer look. In theory, Texas Tech should win this game. The, pro, the, the, the question will be the scoring margin, and I would like to think it at least be three scores based on the way that the offense did play in that second half. If they're able to play that way early on, certainly not give up an onside kick, which I asked Dana about it after the game, and he just seemed like he, he felt like he needed momentum, and certainly they did. And I think uh, he kind of realized, like, maybe Texas Tech was a deeper, more talented team, and they were just trying to get ahead, which they certainly did. But then in that third, fourth quarter, he admitted his team got gassed. So I think that just goes to show the culture that Matt Wells and company are trying to build that paid off, at least in that first contest, but can they continue to do that? And will they be maybe charged up a little bit more now that they're at home playing against the uh, Lumberjacks this weekend?
0: Yeah. Although, uh, yeah, I, I, obviously you, 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 you handle these guys should handle them easily because you're so much better physically yeah. so much more, uh so much better talent wise than they are. And obviously depth wise, because you have 85 scholarships and, being an FCS program, they have 63 scholarships. I think it yeah. won't surprise me if they play it much kind of the same way Houston did. I mean, they have nothing to lose, even more so than Houston. They have nothing yeah. to lose. And so uh, I don't know if it'll be an onside kick, but you can bet that they will be uh, trying something uh, to kind of pull out all the stops and uh, – uh, Score a uh, touchdown in an unconventional way, something that that sort of thing. Trick plays, trick plays. Yes, flea flickers. It would be a good time for uh, good offer. Good time for them to use them. Yeah.
1: So I guess Don, when you kind of look at what what this matchup is in terms of what what could be the thing that makes you feel like okay, this this is going to go Texas Tech's way. Um, I know everyone's going to look at that, not. Ideal start, but I think the thing that Matt Wells brought up that I think is a good point is everyone was complaining about the offense. The offense didn't touch the football, or at least Tyler Shuck did not get his first snap till about the two o four mark of the first quarter. You cannot allow a team to have that much of a time of possession. You got to get three and outs, and I think that's the thing that will set the tempo at least for me. If the defense can get three and outs against Stephen F. Austin, I think you're going to see Sonny Cumbie and this Air Raid offense really come alive on on uh, Saturday night.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you know, one of the other things, uh, as you mentioned, Houston said they got gassed, and uh, there's no reason. Well, SFA should be in that boat, again, just because they don't have the same personnel that a team like even Houston does.
1: Well, as I mentioned before, and we've always done, usually it was a separate podcast, but I was out for a little bit. I was back at home in El Paso, so Don, of course, did as usual tweeted out the fact that we're doing a podcast, and because you're popular, Don, you got to lot of uh, requests I don't know if you wanted me to point them out or did you want to kind of go through your Twitter list and just kind of kind of ask those questions or did you want me to ask, to
0: ask well let's that? see let's start let's start with Stephen Stephen at Stephen 505 rule you know Steven's question was well, Preface Steven's question by talking about uh, big 12 expansion it looks like on Friday and maybe by the time folks are listening to this uh, it'll already have happened but uh, big 12 presidents scheduled to vote on Friday to approve the membership of uh, Brigham Young, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and University of Houston yep. as two members of the Big 12 Conference. Uh, when they join, will be to be determined, but uh, there will be your replacements, at least the immediate replacements for Texas and Oklahoma departing for the SEC. And Stephen asked Will recruiting improve for Texas Tech with the announcement of the new teams entering the Big 12? And my, my idea is um, – I think, I think you can answer that question two ways. Does announcement of a new team entering the Big 12 uh, help Tech improve recruiting? I would, I would say no, um, because uh, the losses of Texas and Oklahoma diminished the conference and diminished the uh, profile of the Big 12. Oh, Absolutely. Hour five, yeah. But I would turn that around also by saying that with Texas and Oklahoma gone, uh, Texas Tech now will have, uh, regardless of what has happened in the last ten years, Texas Tech will have as much uh, foot his history of football success as anybody in the Big Twelve now. And so, uh, then if you can uh, win more, you can very. Uh, easily upgrade your recruiting. If you get back to a, if you become a school that wins nine or 10 games in this version of the Big 12, then that will attract attention from recruits.
1: Yeah. And it'll be a true Big 12. And I think the more important thing that everyone will be following is can you stay a Power Five conference? Because if you are, then that's certainly a thing that you can say in recruiting.
0: Well, and here's the other thing keep in mind that Power Five is, is something that was legislated. It's it's not just a perception thing. Back in 2014, 2015, at the NCAA convention, the Power Five conferences became Power Five conferences because they uh, were given the latitude, the autonomy to make their own rules and to do things like provide full cost of attendance, stipends, and, and those sorts of things. So Power Five is not just about perception. It's also something that uh, you are legislated into. And to me, I think that's, that will not be, uh, uh so to me, I think that'll be hard to take away. It's almost something that you have to voluntarily relinquish, uh, more so than, uh, than it's no longer conveyed on you?
1: Yeah. Just to branch off of that real quick to get your thoughts. I know you wrote a column before all this kind of changed. Uh, I, I think it's interesting to think, in the last 50 days, all the things that have happened with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, you have the Big 12 meet. And now you're adding four more, and kind of all the other things that happened. Uh, just your thoughts on the four that are getting added, Don. I know you mentioned uh, you thought that two should be added, but you weren't sure about the other two.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was in favor. Uh, and preface this again by saying, to me, to me, the most viable, uh, uh, most viable. Targets for the Big 12 Conference are the schools that have already left, like Texas A&M and Nebraska, Arkansas, Arkansas from the Southwest Conference, Colorado. Uh, I don't think any of those are viable at this point because I don't think – even Nebraska is disenchanted in the Big 10. It's not going to walk away from Big 10 paychecks and take that kind of pay cut. So, given that, then your alternative – these alternatives, I think, from this pool, uh, BYU because of it because it's a national brand. You know, those of us my age and a little bit younger remember the days of Lavelle Edwards and where BYU was the cutting edge mm-hmm. of array of passing game footballs, where Mike Leach got his ideas. Uh, I, I think they give you they give you some appeal, and I think Central Florida, because of what it can be, is um, the next. But it's maybe potentially the best place for, but for a good couple good market too. Good market. You're, you're in the Orlando market. Uh, UCF is the largest public university in the United States with seventy-one thousand students, um, and uh, I, I assumed that UCF had the. Uh, I assumed UCF commuter school probably lousy, probably lousy or suspect academics. Come to find out, no. UCF uh, actually is very highly rated for its academics. There's one, one of the top 100 academic rankings. They're in it. Uh, I'm not sure how they pull it off with 71,000 students, but you know they got a lot going for them. I think another thing they have going for them is Florida State has um, has been a declining football program in recent years, and I think uh, adding UCF to a to a Power Five conference, I think they might actually steal some of Florida State's thunder. I could see them being as good. I I could see them kind of doing what Florida State has done. And I made the comparison in a column the other day. You know, in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, Arizona State was a Mm -hmm. school. Arizona State was kind of what UCF is now. And that is a program that was out, that was not in one of the major conferences, but just wrecked everybody and put up great records under Frank Cush and then got into the pack. what was then the, the Pac-8, became the Pac-10, got into that in the uh, uh, 19, 1978, and now, you know, everybody thinks of, okay, Arizona State's been a power five, been a power program all our lives, right? But Arizona State used to be what UCF is now, so I can see UCF kind of doing what ASU has done.
1: And who knows, maybe the Big 12 will go after those Arizona schools, but as of right now, at least the – the, uh, the reporting is that those four schools are at least uh, looking to get voted in on Friday. We're recording this on Thursday. So, on that note, Don, what was the next question you wanted to answer here from the old?
0: Uh, let's see. Craig, Craig asked, what well, does Texas Tech need to do better offense or defense to be ahead of schedule, to be a team to compete for a top three position in the conference? Uh, I have an immediate thought on that one. Uh, you can think about it for a moment, Carlos. Uh, yeah. I think uh, re- I think they have to continue to play better defensively. Um, four and for as uh, good a as they showed the other night with the four picks and with the experience and depth that they have, uh, you know, you, you still got to become a program, you still got to become a team that uh isn't giving up 30 plus points a game. If you're going to be in the top three in the Big 12, you got to cut that uh down, you know, around the 25 points a game or so average. That's doable, you know, teams like. Gary Patterson and TCU show uh, on a year-in, year-out basis that you can do that in the Big 12. And to me, that's what Tech has to do, is continue to play better defensively.
1: To play, to play on that uh, answer of yours, I think the other thing is they have to get the running game going. I think adding Sir Roderick Thompson now with Taj Boyd, if you have that one-two punch and you're able to get a 100-yard rusher each game, that means that you're going to limit possessions of the opposition. I think that's going to be huge. So if you play that much better defense with maybe less possessions, you're going to get to that 20 to 25 point range. And I totally agree with you on playing better defensive. It, I know Coach Keith Patterson talks about three and outs. I think just limiting uh, the opposition to, you know, uh, I'll just call meaningless drive. So maybe you have a six to eight play drive, but they stop at the, you know, the 45 or the 40. They miss a field goal and they essentially, you know, wasted a bunch of time. Three and outs would be good, but I think uh, just getting other teams off the field is going to be important, and not only that, but then keeping the opposing offenses, because that's the thing about the Big 12 that everyone well knows. The offenses are good. That's why Texas Tech has been so key on getting all these guys in the secondary to be so deep with all the transfers, like a Rashad Williams or Reggie Pearson and all those guys. And not only that, but versatile guys can go up against a tight end when you play in Iowa State, or they can match up with you know the three to four talented wide receivers that you'll see when you play in Oklahoma or Texas or even Baylor to a point as well. But yeah, I I totally agree with you, Don. You got to play better defense, but I also think that you have to get your running game going. And I think that's something that Matt Wells really kind of showed off against uh, Houston, because when you got that running game going, all of a sudden what happened last year, when you saw Deuce get loose with Kansas state, you saw Taj get loose against Houston and you saw how you separate. And I think that's a very, very important thing for Texas tech to kind of learn how to, Close out games or just put that nail in the coffin, as the cliche goes.
0: Scotty Smalls asked does Saturday's game. Change any opinion you have of this Texas Tech team? Man, one game, look at that. Uh, not in my book, not really, because I expect uh, I expected Tyler Shuck to be the real deal. Uh, I mean, there's there's no question about his talent, and I think he showed that. Um, I think the thing that maybe. Uh, takes some people a little bit by surprise, as you think, okay, six five, two hundred twenty pound guy, he's probably a pocket passer who can't run. But that's not his history. I mean, he had, uh, I think, yeah, it's, nice run. I was, was going to say, I think here, uh, last night I calculated, uh, played seven games last year, he had sixteen runs of nine yards or more, including several that were twenty yards or more. So that's a that's a element of his game. So I expected Tyler Shuck to be good. You know what Eric economy is. Um, and you kind of expected the defense to do what they did, I think. So uh, uh, I, I nothing really I can think of that changed an opinion that I had going into that game. I'll be short and sweet. I thought Texas Tech was going to beat Houston by a
1: couple scores. The final result essentially showed what I thought was going to happen. I think the start of the game was the opposite of what I thought was going to happen, and I think a lot of fans are probably already at the – Where's Kirby and where's Matt Wells fire, fire or for sale signs on their houses. And then all of a sudden you kind of saw, again, this resilience that I know a lot of people aren't happy with some of the losses that have happened over the last couple of years. But I asked Eric and uh, Rico Jeffers after the game is what do some of those scars of losing help with with something like this? And they said they have dealt with adversity before and now they know that they have the ability to make these type of comebacks because the offense is good. Their defense is playing better, just kind of like you said.
0: Uh, let's see. S. Moose asked, does uh, Matt Wells and staff have any intentions to focus more on recruiting? Last year ranked in the 70s. This year, Tech relying on a ton of grad transfers. It is a talented roster by recent standards, but not sustainable. Um, let's see. About kind of three different questions packaged in there. Does Matt Wells and staff have intentions to focus more on recruiting? I mean, they focus on recruiting 365 days a year. Uh, last year they were ranked in the seventies. Um, and I asked Matt Wells about that and he pointed out that if I was only, you know, recruiting rankings, don't take into account, recruiting rankings are based on high school recruits only. Mm -hmm. Said if I was, uh, recruiting, building a team with high school recruits only that would concern me, but I'm not. So it doesn't because uh, he may not say it doesn't, but he did say, Recruiting rankings are built on high school rankings only. If, if if I were recruiting high school players only, I would be concerned about that. But he's recruiting a lot of players from elsewhere from the transfer portal. Um, so I, I and I think what you'll see, particularly since they've had the success that they have had with transfers, I think going forward you'll see them try to sign about fifteen to eighteen high school guys and about another half a dozen. Uh, players out of the portal. Um, this year, as Moose Moose said, they're relying on a ton of grad transfers talented roster for recent standards, but not sustainable. Now, the thing you have to keep into – take into account there, remember last year was a free year. Mm-hmm. So now you really kind of have a little bit of a roster crunch. There's not really room for 25 freshmen because think about this. Tosh Brooks, Miles Price, Josiah Pierre, who made plays the other night at, at U of H, mm-hmm. Rogers. All those guys have four years eligibility remaining. Um, Sir Roderick Thompson, Malik Dunlap, Rashad Williams, Eric zukanma Reggie Pearson, Jalen Hutchings, Tyler Shuck, Tony Bradford, Austin McNamara. All those guys have three years remaining. That's counting this year. This year mm-hmm. – and two more. The guys I mentioned at the top have this year and three more. They're basically freshmen. Uh, Brandon Randall, Dawson Deaton, Christian Merriweather have two years. Each of those guys has another year after this year if they want them. So you kind of have a situation that's going to, you know, it'll take a little while for this to kind of shake out and settle out and get back to what we know is normal. But right now you have a, a ton of your roster even though it's experienced, a lot of your top players still have multiple years left to play for you. So it's not like you're desperate, need, desperately needing high school guys right now. About you can get by with about fifteen high school guys, and like I say, I, I think what we've seen now is that you know, would you rather have a high school guy than Reggie Pearson, who started ten games, who started thirteen games for a for a ten game Rose Bowl winner, because he has you're going to have him for for this year and two more years. Yeah, you'd rather have a high school quarterback than Tyler Stuck right now. Yeah, I think Tyler Stuck's here at risk, obviously of losing him to the NFL draft. But
1: um, yeah, you got Baron Morton, Donovan Smith afterward, or Henry Columbia as well. But but I think the point too is uh, I think you asked Keith Patterson about this as well. The last couple of years you haven't you haven't really had a, a way to look at some of these high school players other than film and there's stuff that you can't see on film or maybe some things that you can't, you know, figure out. And that's where some of these transfers have worked out because Keith Patterson has had a relationship, Derek Jones has had a relationship or they've seen them or, you know, watch them play or they kind of have guys that can kind of give them the lowdown. And that's where, again, they've kind of mentioned, they fit the culture that they're trying to build. They fit the, the, the scheme that they're trying to run. So I think that's the other important factor here is not only are they more developed, they've been in a strength and conditioning program in college, they've played some games in college, but the other thing is they're ready, Don, unlike a high school recruit. Sometimes you don't necessarily play a true freshman. So that's usually about a one or two year deal. Whereas these guys, they're starting right at, right off the bat.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, let's see. Uh, let me go to a question real quick from uh, from Nate Marchese. And Nate asks, can you break down how you think the running back situation plays out over the next few weeks? Is Sir Thompson fully back? And does Taj Brooks play himself into a split, even uh, when Thompson does come back? Um, now, we asked Matt Wells about that on Sunday. I said, uh, is he cleared for contact? Matt Wells said, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would not elaborate uh, on uh, – Really, anything beyond oh, okay. that. So, so, what's beyond that's kind of conjecture. But, but I go back to I think you um, got to take into account that uh, Todd, or pardon me, Schroeder Thompson went four and a half months with no contact. So, it's going to take him some time to uh, kind of reacclimate, get the timing down, all those sorts of things again. Um, so, I think he will he will uh, be reincorporated. I don't know if it'll be this Saturday. Uh, probably by next Saturday for the Florida International game. I think you might see him back. Um, yeah. I see him back. I, I think he'll play before Texas. I think he'll yeah. play before Texas. How much I think is to be determined. Um, but as for as for how they use these guys, I think it's going to be a committee. Um, and I go back to kind of. Sonny Gumby's history at TCU is he, is he plays three or four running backs. I think that's what – I think that's what uh, will happen here because I think Brooks has shown he's viable. Thompson's been your rushing leader each of the last two years, and Xavier White is not going away. Now, he does have the fumbling problem. He's uh, on each of the last two games, but he's yeah. also he's – your, he's your speed back and show, made big plays last year against uh, 12 teams, so – Think uh, you're, you're going to have all three of those guys for sure going to play?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, if anything, like I said, you kind of answered all that. I, I certainly think the two opponents that you have give uh, Sir an opportunity to be in a pitch count and give yourself some time to acclimate yourself to hits. Not only that, but just playbook too. But I think the other thing too, um, I'm sure you've probably looked this up, or if you haven't, I apologize for putting you on the spot, Don, but I can't, I believe Sonny's had one or two thousand yard rushers as an offensive
0: coordinator, uh, one or two? That's pr- that sounds about right. I don't want yeah. that off the top of my head. I want to yeah. say two, but I can't remember Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Like I said, I, I remember looking it up once, but it, it's somewhere there. So it's it's like you said, it's not like he's trying to find that dozen yard back. It's great when it happens, but he's more of a here's the guy that's going to give us our best chance to have a good, positive play because they bring this sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, Ability,
0: yeah. Uh, see, rock, the guys who are rocking pregame, uh, uh, hello, Sean Dillon, Price Dillon, well, Sean, or maybe draw our buddy, Rob, bro. Uh, yes. getting, take this one, Carlos. Which player surprised you so far? God, after one game,
1: uh. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I, it sounds pretty stupid coming from me, but Eric is a goddamn done. Like I texted you afterward. I'm like, man, the guy looks like he's been lifting the weights. And you brought it up. It's like Dave Scholes and company have really shown that they're, you know, doing doing some work with those guys. And I think uh, with the way he played, Eric is a gun. Could be known as one of the top receivers in the country if he continues to play the way he did and the thing is is like we were joking with him afterward but it's like he felt like he left plays on the field and the one play was he wanted the touchdown where he flipped over his head and got pushed out of bounds and obviously what happened afterward hindsight 2020 javier white fumbles but if he gets a touchdown you have a seven point you have seven point or six points plus the point after obviously but i think that's one uh second i guess would just be jonathan Garabay and Am
0: uh, having a good game. Um, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up as a combo because I agree with you. I mean, for as good as he was, I mean, his first team all Big Twelve last year, and for as good yeah. as he was, I think he looks better than ever right now. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's impressive when he you know goes up uh, goes uh goes up and kind of overpowers a five eight cornerback, but you expect that. But the thing that uh, that maybe surprised me a little bit about him still is just the way he, the way he ran after the catch. Yes. The screens had just. Uh,
1: yeah. There was one in particular. I can't remember the play, but he literally shed it off about two guys, pushed one off with his oh yeah, this arm without the football. Like that was the one where I was like, okay, he did. Like he's been working out and like, not to say that none of them do, but it's just like, there is a difference in the type of plays that he can make now because of his new strength or you know, what else that he's been working on in
0: the offseason. Yeah, I think that's a direct result of what you get in strength and conditioning and being part of a a program for three or four years. Um, uh, I'll throw one more in there. And again, this is a a guy that was – my guys that I'll name here is a guy that was making noise and was getting – Attention and a buzz in August, but Josiah Pierre, mm-hmm. the linebacker, simply because again off season you think okay this got the team has all its linebackers back five of its top eight tacklers there's no room for a new linebacker to play right but <laughs> Josiah Pierre was out, out there in the first half and he saw why because uh, he saw why Keith Patterson said he's the most explosive linebacker because that that's what he is he, he, he gets to the ball he's got some. Kind of special, kind of juice, and he had five tackles the other night in his tech debut.
1: Yeah, uh, I well said he would play, and he earned a spot.
0: Let's see. Um, let me let's go back down here real quick. Uh, sure. Package, gonna package two questions together. Ah, uh, the old Don special. Time. Brandon asked, "Is Matt Wells the guy?" As in, do you believe in him the way he is building the program? And uh, John Brock asked, "Who is on the short list to be Wells' replacement?" And he <laughs> wins a game, and he's already getting replaced. Yeah, If, if Tech keeps winning, I, I don't know that he's going to be replaced soon. Yeah. Here, again, here's the other thing: um, you're talking about an athletic program whose budget declined by about. Uh, 20 to 25 million dollars last year. And, and a lot of uncertainty going forward. And it's facing uh budget constraints going forward without Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. So, mm-hmm. this is a department that is not going to be able to throw around nine million dollars to pay off a coach. And so, then
1: another nine to maybe hire someone,
0: and another nine to hire someone. So, keep that in mind. Uh, and the way building the program, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit a little while ago is it getting the talent in here to improve the program? And although it's uh, maybe some more experienced talent than is conventional, uh, I don't know if you're getting guys like Colin Schooler who comes here as an all conference player, and Marquise Waters, who comes here as a top tackler on his team for three years in a row, and Reggie Pearson, who is the fourth leading tackler on the Rose Bowl team. If you can continue to recruit, get that kind of talent uh, with FBS experience, uh, I'm probably more uh, inclined to say I'm okay with how he's building the program now. If you could, again, if you get six or seven transfer guys and 15 high school guys a year, I think you, you can work, you can make that work
1: i heard a couple players say this. Rico Jefferson said it after the Houston win, but competitive depth. I think that's something that Matt Wells and company have done because I think it's fair to say, whether you look at any position, I know you uh, kind of countered my point with the offensive line where maybe there's not as much depth as you'd like, but I think at other positions where maybe a player could think, ah, oh, you know what? This guy's not going to replace me. I don't have to, you know, play hard every play, so to speak. Now it's the exact opposite where, you know, like you mentioned, all the linebackers, you got all that talent. You got to find plays for them. Just, just, uh, Josiah Pierre somehow found a way to get on the field and get five tackles. There's going to be production everywhere, and I think that's something that might have been missing over the last couple of years. And unfortunately, it took three years to kind of get there, but I think that goes to show what uh, Matt Wells and his coaching staff had to fill from the cupboard that they were uh, given uh, when they first started
0: here. Now, uh, let's see. I'm skipping around here a little bit, but uh, Moon Knight mm-hmm. 3, any changes in the O-line?
1: I was surprised Ethan
0: Carr didn't play.
1: Things were going.
0: A little, yeah, I kind of watched two a little bit. Because Caleb Rogers obviously had his hand, hands full out there on the edge. Um, one issue that you have is you don't have a whole lot of depth on the offensive line, I think, right now. May be comfortable with only two two of the backup guys. One is Ethan Card, yes, backup tackle, and the other is Landon Peterson as the backup guard. But um, you know, again, R- R- Rodgers is a guy that they that they like. I mean, he came on at the end of the year and he replaced Ethan Card. But, uh, to, but well, to uh, we asked the man himself, Matt Wells, and uh, or not I, but I think somebody else asked. Uh, any changes coming to the offensive line. I think Jared Johnson asked him that. And uh, and he said, you know, it's always an option, but I don't uh, foresee us doing that right now. So it looks like it's going to be your same five guys on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, which, again, that's something that they haven't had due to injury or COVID or whatever. You just didn't have that uh, continuity last year, and you could see how that really hurt them, whether that was Henry Columbia getting sacked, Alan Bowman and kind of all those things over the last couple of years. But – the one thing that at least helps him, like you mentioned, Don, he doesn't have that athletic speed, but Tyler Shuck is able to get out of the pocket and make some plays. And the one good thing about having all the great wide receivers that you have right now, granted some of them, them being untested or just unproven because they haven't played as many downs as an Eric, Izukanma or McClay match or all that, but they're going to force the defense to, you know, get stretched. And if that gives Tyler Shuck, you know, six to seven yards, he'll, he will take it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, he good. I'm glad you kind of uh, brought that up, uh, Carlos, because it leads into another question. It's not really a question. It's a statement from Daniel Walsh, who says, yeah. demand, have Shuck run the ball more with an exclamation mark. And Daniel actually charted it. Actually charted this the other night. Went back, uh, looked through play-by-play of every Oregon game last year. And, again, there were seven games. And Tyler Shuck, I think uh, he had – I believe it was 16 carries last year for nine or more yards. So here's a little bit of a breakdown. Against Stanford, he had runs of 25 and 15 and a couple of three nine yarders. Against Washington State, he had runs of 24 and 33 yards and a nine yarder. Against UCLA, he had runs of 12, 23, and 15. Uh, Oregon State really bottled him up. He didn't do anything against the Beavers. Against Cal, he had runs of 12, and four, 12, 14, and 11. Um, and then he had one nine yard run against Southern Cal. Of course, the season didn't end great right for Tyler. Didn't really do a whole lot against Southern Cal or Iowa State. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, just you listen to that. I mean, that's two or three times a game last year in the regular season against Pac 12 teams that he, they popped runs of, you know, 12, 15, 25, 30 yards. So he, he definitely, has uh, to in the thing I, th- I think the thing that you have to you know be careful with obviously I mean he's a big kid but uh, mm-hmm. what happens to Texas Tech if Tyler Shutt takes off and somebody pops him and and you lose him for a month or more or, you know or yeah. like Bowman if you you know snap him, breaks the collar ball well oh, the good thing is you have a uh,
1: battle proven backup in Henry Columbia that has won your big 12 football games it's not like you got some unproven freshman now it's it, it's a guy that's a veteran so at least you've got that going but I, I think the the thing that Sonny's Sonny, uh, Sonny Cumbie the offensive coordinator coordinator mentioned is they're going to be very uh thoughtful of when they do call those plays and certainly they, they there were some good calls there they had some zone reads uh, one of which was able to allow pardon me Tyler shut the score going to the right so I think just the fact that opposing defenses have to account for him I think it's just going to create place for other guys now. And I think that's going to be kind of seen down the road. I think those are just some small little plays that maybe Sonny will start to, start to show early on. But I think it's going to lead to something else later down the road.
0: Um, let's see. Dan Bryan says if the Big 12 expansion happens, it's going to happen, Dale, uh, play, play the round robin with only one non-conference game. So play all 11 teams and only one non-conference game. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, for one reason, you know, right, right here on the front end, I mean, Texas Tech has non-conference games scheduled set pretty much all the way out through about 20- 20 nine, I was going to say through the end of the decade. Yeah. So you're not going to. You're not going to cancel my conference game. So, uh, A, I don't think it's going to happen at any point. B, it's uh, uh, not going to – wouldn't happen anytime soon. Uh, Derwake, D-E-R-W-A-K-E, says it's one of the top universities when it comes to student body size, alumni base endowment, and now third largest football stadium in the new Big 12, behind Brigham Young and Iowa State. Will Texas Tech have the most power slash influence, and I would say I would say yeah, and actually uh, keep uh, 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 gr- grab the AJ on Sunday. Norfolk Pollard has a column that, and Norfolk used to be our sports center. You saw it in the. You saw it in the system, eh? <laughs> Pardon? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. He was
0: our sports editor from 1978 to 1991, covered Texas Tech football for 13 years or more, and uh, addressed that very topic and made the case that, yes, Texas Tech should have the most power and influence in the Big 12. And and uh, and I would agree. I think uh, uh, the only one uh, – I'm not even sure who else you would make a case for. Oklahoma State, and eh, maybe. Oklahoma State, kind of comparable to Tech. Uh, Brigham Young, and eh, maybe. I mean, Brigham Young has a national brand. They have a history. But yeah. it's hard for me to see them wielding a whole lot of power in a conference that they're just coming into after not having been at a Power 5 program. So, yes, yeah, I think Tech uh, absolutely could – could be in position to have the most power and kind of call some shots in the conference. Of course, calling shots and having power it has a two, two different things. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, having power and calling shots is, is uh, on the part of one school is kind of what has led to the Big 12 turning into what it's turned into. Yeah, it's very true. Which uh, was referring, of course, to what Texas has done.
1: Yeah. Granted, they haven't won. So, I mean, that's the other important thing you have all these uh facilities money and yet you have nothing to show for it so i think that's something that'll be interesting when them in oklahoma do go to the sec and see how things go uh just to make one more point on that previous uh question that was asked going to 2027 texas tech has three non-conference games in each of the years going up to 2027 after that in 2028 2029 there's two 2030 there's three
0: uh, you you mind reading those off real quick, Carlos? Uh, what year? You tell me. Uh, just go down them. Uh, 20 starting next year. Next
1: year we're gonna have Murray State, Houston at home at North Carolina State. 2023 is at Wyoming, Oregon here, and then we play Vontae Tarleton State, uh, Abilene Christian at Oregon, North Texas at home in 2024. 2025 is Arkansas Pine Bluff at Colorado State, Oregon State. 2026 is Abilene Christian at Oregon State, Colorado State at home. 2027, Arkansas Pine Bluff at North Texas, North Carolina State at home. 2028 is when all the two games starts, like I said, at Mississippi State. Wyoming at home. 2029, Mississippi State at home. At Fresno State, 2030 is just Fresno State at home. And then twenty thirty two is Fresno State at home, so you have no non conference games in twenty thirty one.
0: Yeah, although they'll be looking to fill those spots, obviously. But Correct. yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of good Power Five games to look uh, forward to over the next decade. A lot of Pac uh, twelve flavor in there. Oh. a lot of Pac twelve flavor. Yes, yes. Um, let's see.
1: I don't know if you want to answer the Ryan King question because you know Ryan King. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm looking for other questions so I'll let you answer the Ryan King question Our buddy Ryan King says The lumberjacks, with that in mind Have you ever climbed or chopped down a tree? Story time No good stories, Ryan I've never chopped down a tree I've and, climbed uh, a
1: tree, I've never chopped down a tree And
0: a tree i have never chopped down a tree i do not think I've ever even climbed a tree I'm uh, no, <laughs> not, a, not of any height Actually I've had
1: to prune a tree in El Paso. That wasn't fun.
0: Uh, okay. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I think that's it. Have we have we gotten to
1: them all? I hope so, because this is about an hour podcast, so everyone will enjoy another hour-long
0: podcast. Who is John? Here, one more. Who is John? Sure. Asked, How good was it to see Dana Holgerson with absolutely no answers for what the Tech D at him for three quarters of that game? Meh. Nah. See, I always like – I, I like Dana personally. I mean like, I I I can say that I uh, met Dana the very first day they walked in the door here. He was one of Mike Leach's very first tires. He was twenty-eight years old. Mm-hmm. Coached in small he had played in a small college there at Iowa Wesleyan. He had coached in nothing but small college, like Wingate in North Carolina and Mississippi College. So Not his big <laughs> chance. Not Ole Miss, but Mississippi College. He was a total no-name at age 28 and got to know him then and always found uh, Dana, Dana likable. So, He uh, um, was certainly refreshing after that game. I mean, he literally said
1: they got their tails kicked. It's very rare you kind of hear a coach be as uh, blunt as Dana, I guess, would be the best way I could say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he did acknowledge it. I mean, he got, he got a lot of uh, – Attention! Kind of stirred up a hornet's nest uh, among Tech fans when he said Texas uh, wreck them. We're going to wreck Tech. You know I, I'm okay with that. I think bowling board material's overrated. Uh, I would I would expect him to say that. I would expect him to feel that. I would expect uh, Matt Wells to say uh, I'm going to go uh, go uh, wreck uh, Texas here in in a couple of weeks. So I'm okay with that kind of stuff. And like you said, Dana was. Uh, uh
1: he's okay. very blunt but then he also accepts the blame when obviously he did not perform as he had mentioned or called a good offensive game in the second in the second half. Yeah. so i mean yeah uh, he uh, all of stuff. yeah and obviously it's tough though because uh, as you and i were mentioning on the previous podcast last week it's getting paid to be a uh non-power five uh coach so i think it's going to look kind of interesting to see if uh, he's able to turn things around or if uh He's not able to get to that nine to 10 win mark with uh, some ACC games and getting, or eight American Athletic Conference. I would yeah. that up, so I apologize. But yeah, if you can't get those nine to 10 wins, then a bowl game.
0: Yeah. We know, Carlos, that's all the questions. We uh, appreciate uh, everybody that uh, chimed in on short notice.
1: Yeah. Don will answer all your questions, just so you know. So the, the, the more you ask, the longer I have to stay here. So just so you to know that. <laughs>
0: And Carlos is trying to uh, get to a game.
1: uh, Well, right now it's 2-0 Estacado, or I mean uh, 2-0 Canyon. So there's a safety in this game.
0: For those who are asking if
1: Don and I are watching the games, yes, we are. The Cowboys, and Buccaneers are on there, and so is Estacado and Canyon.
0: I'll tell you what, we we will turn you loose so you can uh, go get to the game that you are planning to get to. Uh, Thank you, uh, everybody, for uh, being a part of this, for uh, sending us questions. And for listening each week, um, again uh, Texas Tech hosting Stephen F. Austin 6 p.m. Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. If you get there early, you can go to Raider Alley, and Shaquille O'Neal is going to be performing at Raider Alley. Yes, that's Shaquille O'Neal at Raider Alley on Saturday afternoon before the six o'clock start. Who uh, so, was interviewed by Don Williams? Yeah, I've got a column about that coming up on Friday. So for uh, Carl Silva, Jr., AJ Media Sports Editor, I'm Don Williams from the Avalanche Journal. Everybody uh, take care, and we'll talk to you again soon.